Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Memcast. Today we've got Dr Charlie Parr with us, an acute medical registrar in the East Midlands, and we're going to be talking a bit about sepsis. The definition of sepsis has changed recently in 2016, so we thought it would be a good topic to cover, and it's something that we see so regularly in the hospital. Charlie, can you tell us a bit about sepsis? Sepsis is a a fairly hot topic at the moment, and the definition was changed in 2016 along with some new updated NICE guidelines on how we investigate and identify sepsis as well and the treatment. So the definition now is that sepsis is a life-threatening organ dysfunction caused by dysregulated host response to infection. So it's out with all the SERS criteria, simply sepsis or septic shock in more severe cases and this is identified by a circulatory issue either manifest by a hypotension or elevated lactate and that is actually despite fluid resuscitation. Sepsis can cause a distributive shock and that essentially means that in the pathophysiology of sepsis you get this vasodilatory hypotension so again you've got an increased vascular space so you get a relative hypovolemia in that context you will also get more leaky capillary beds and albumin consumption in the process as well so just to sort of re-emphasize the presence of an infection does not mean sepsis and nor does a bacteremia either but people obviously who have an infection or bacteremia are at risk of developing sepsis and therefore need to be carefully monitored or given information to look out for concerning signs it's worth saying in fact that in order to have sepsis you need to have suspicion of infection or have identified a source of infection We take a patient history and there might be signs and symptoms that are consistent with infection that suggests pneumonia. Patients may have risk factors such as obviously immunosuppression, diabetes, the extremes of age, the very old, the very young. And indeed, people who have recently given birth or are pregnant, these are all risk factors that predispose you to infection and and sepsis. And that's not to forget about the patients that are in hospital as well who are at risk of nosocomial infections and the risk of them developing sepsis as well. So this can occur anywhere. There are people who are at higher risk, but it can occur in anyone as well. I think that's part of the reason why we are encouraged to have such a low threshold for suspecting it and also considering in differentials when we see people with an inflammatory reaction or or sort of signs of inflammation. So in terms of assessing the mortality of patients with sepsis, we've got the SOFA score that we can use. So would you mind telling us a bit more about the SOFA score and what that entails? Yeah, so the SOFA score, which stands for Sequential Organ Failure Assessment, is a fairly comprehensive score which takes into account a number of organ systems, so respiratory, cardiovascular, hepatic, neurological and renal system, to try and identify who's at greater risk of dying from the process that's ongoing. And this is a score that was essentially designed to be used in an intensive care environment. And patients that scored two or more on the comprehensive SOFA score had a mortality risk of more than 10%, basically. Mm. So what they've actually done from there is develop a Q-SOFA or Quick-SOFA score for use outside of critical care, which simply takes into account the respiratory, cardiovascular and neurological system. And again, patients with two or more variations from the norm 
in these systems generally tend to have a poor outcome from sepsis and in particular these criteria are a respiratory rate equal to or above 22, altered mentation so any form of confusion or drowsiness or systolic blood pressure that's less than or equal to 100 and this is essentially to identify those that have that organ dysfunction element that is referred to in that uh, new 2016 definition of sepsis. We should have awareness of the NICE guidelines that came out with this definition. So the 2016 NICE guidelines for sepsis actually break it down into a low, moderate and high risk set of criteria for patients presenting with infection or suspected infection. And this sort of correlates with those features in the QSOFA score. Anyone that hits even one high risk criteria on the NICE guidelines should be assessed really by a registrar or above. These are the patients that are the ones that are higher risk of dying or having poor outcomes for sepsis. And following on from that, those with high risk criteria who have hypotension or elevated lactate should be discussed with a consultant and potentially with critical care as well. And these are ones that we need to ensure we're giving early fluid challenges to and potentially discussing with critical care as well for further organ support. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a little bit later about some of the escalation criteria for yeah. these patients. So now we've talked a bit about who gets sepsis, what sepsis is, and some scoring systems for working out mortality. I wanted to talk a bit now about treatment for sepsis. So as with the assessment and management of an acutely unwell patient, we're looking at an A to E assessment and treating as we find, basically. So clearly, if there is any airway compromise, either from the source of infection, which may be located in the upper airway, or from a neurological failure causing a airway compromise, we should be getting anaesthetics involved early on. We talk about oxygen therapy as well, and certainly for those with a respiratory failure related to their sepsis, they may be requiring high flow oxygen. But we should be aiming for target saturations of 94 to 98 in the majority, or 88 to 92 for those at risk of hypercapnic respiratory failure. We've talked a little bit about fluid challenges, so the NICE guidelines recommend crystalloid fluid in the first instance. Although there is allowance for a consideration of a human albumin solution for patients with septic shock as a booster for the blood pressure, essentially. And of course, what we all know about is antibiotics and needing to be given without delay, but essentially within one hour. So none of your assessment or investigations that you're doing should be delaying administration of antibiotics. And certainly anyone who's identified within the community at being risk of sepsis should receive antibiotics before coming into hospital. So there should be facilities in in primary care for doing that. Refer to your local protocol in terms of your antibiotic strategy. Where possible, tailor antibiotics according to your suspected source of infection. But where that might not be clear, broad spectrum antibiotics should be given according to the allergy status of the patient. Most hospitals and departments will have a microbiology service that can be consulted with as well. Brilliant. So sepsis or suspected sepsis is really common. What would be Mm. your top tips for spotting sepsis? I think it's having awareness of what it looks like. So obviously everyone's now switching over to using the news 2 scoring criteria within hospitals. And we're all taught to suspect sepsis when people are tachypneic, hypotensive. These features that, as we've mentioned, are more concerning when people do have an infection. 
Now, clearly, there are lots of differentials for these sorts of presentations. You know, a massive PE will give you a tachypnea and potentially a hypotension, and, and that's equally concerning. So we do need to have a consideration of differentials, but potentially a low threshold for treating sepsis. The other thing that I've learned over the last few years is being very broad about where we're looking for that source of infection as well. And we've got loads of possibilities in terms of how to investigate for source of infection and the NICE guidelines also advocate imaging of the abdomen and pelvis where we haven't clearly identified a source of infection and clearly at this time of year we need to be thinking about flu as well. So have a low threshold for investigating where we're suspecting sepsis to look for that source of infection. Do think about escalating and discussing with seniors and or critical care early where there appears to be a more severe end of the spectrum. So there are other investigations, obviously, we need to consider if we think the infection's not coming from the usual chest or urine, so yeah. we would get a chest x-ray or urine dip. Perhaps if they've got ascites, we need to make sure we're doing an acidic tap, yeah. or if they're confused and there's no other source, we might be looking to do an LP mm-hmm. or something like that. And ideally, you want to be doing these before initiating antibiotics, but that's not always possible. Mm-hmm. Clearly, a lumbar puncture takes a reasonable amount of work up. We ideally want to know the coagulation status, ensure that there's no elevated intracranial pressure that might make doing a lumbar puncture more risky. But in the context of someone that presents with tense ascites, a acidic tap with green needle and syringe is something that should be done as an initial bedside investigation and is part of the BSG cirrhosis bundle and should be done irrespective of clotting parameters at the time and really shouldn't be delaying antibiotic therapy. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So we were going to talk a bit about escalation and ITU involvement. Yeah, so I think this is an area that potentially isn't very well verbalised or taught to your middle grade medical doctors and we're expected to sort of absorb and understand by experience who gets a bed in critical care. And I think the things we need to think about is the idea of physiology that can withstand the challenges of intensive care and the identification of something that's reversible. So sepsis is a reversible and treatable pathology and is a justified reason for considering a critical care referral. The patient's physiology is the other element. So for patients who are frail and the majority of patients that will get sepsis and septic shock are the over 65 year olds. It may be that they don't have the physiological reserve to withstand multi-organ support and a lot of invasive therapy that intensive care can offer. Those are the things that we need to take into account when thinking whether or not patients are candidates for critical care. And the questions you might think about asking or asking family is day-to-day how these patients function. Are they independent of their activities of daily living? Can they manage a flight of stairs or two do they get out and about also what's their quality of life and to be honest one of the most important questions really is would they want it would they want to be put through that level of intense therapy which is essentially what it is with a prolonged period of recovery and running the risk of not getting back to their baseline if they were to pull through it. So, you know, we, we need to make these assessments, whether or not it's front door in A&E or on a, an acute medical unit, or if these patients deteriorate again in hospital. Think about patient wishes, either pre-identified or at the time. 
do they have the physiological reserve to withstand intensive care and is there a reversible pathology which as I say in the context of sepsis there generally is. Now in terms of what intensive care can offer because what we're talking about here is organ failures related to sepsis this is a supportive strategy to get someone through an infection. Ultimately it's the antibiotics and the source control that will result in treatment success and simply what we are looking for in intensive care is the support to get them through that and where there's airway compromise or respiratory compromise that might involve intubation and ventilation where there's cardiovascular collapse we're thinking about vasoactive medications to support the blood pressure and maintain perfusion essentially so keep the kidneys and the brain perfused interesting i mean that can be done in a level two environment as well so this doesn't necessarily mean level three Clearly, in the context of altered mentation, some people with very unmanageable hyperactive delirium occasionally need sedative agents and therefore airway management in a level three environment. So these are the sort of strategies that can be offered in critical care. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Shai, for your run through of sepsis. That's been really helpful today. You're welcome. Thank you.